Tonight, it is our responsibility to talk to you about the threat of humanism. When we think of humanism, we think that, you know, that sounds good. It's emphasis upon humanity and human beings. Well, when we think about certain types of humanism in the sense of a small h and emphasizing true humanity made in the image of God with dignity, that is good, but that's not what we're talking about here tonight. We're talking about the threat of secular atheistic humanism with a capital H that is threatening to destroy our nation and destroy our economy and destroy our uh, form of life and destroy the families that we have and destroy the morality in this country and in other countries. And this is a serious thing. We could realize the seriousness of it. It would be enough to make our blood run cold. And we would pop out in cold sweat when we realize what's going on in our country and in our nation and in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, I fear. And when we think about the Humanist Manifestos, we think about Humanist Manifesto 1, published in 1933, and Humanist Manifesto 2 in 1973. Now, I know something about this because I was schooled in public education and in higher education at the University of Alabama and in other places, and I know what the humanists are saying. I got so sick and tired of being fed John Dewey until I could vomit. And uh, this is what is being crammed down the throats of anyone who takes teacher education today. And I know whereof I speak. And I know the kind of person John Dewey was. He was an atheist. He believed that you should have no authority exercised in the schools. You let students do what they jolly well pleased, and so forth. And he's the father of progressive education in this country. And he is the father of public education as we know it today in our country. And it's one of the greatest threats that is known to man today. If Secular humanism is not espoused, and some of these things that we're going to talk about tonight are not taking place in your schools. You either have a strong board of education, who are which members are keeping it out, or you have a strong principal who does not believe in humanism, and he's not allowing it to come in. But that's not true in many places in this country. Now, I'm a product of public education as well as private, but I know whereof I speak. And I appreciate those good teachers that are standing for morals and principles and for God and for country today. And my hat's off to them. But in so many places, this is the exception, and we're going to talk about that tonight. What is the basis of humanism with a capital H? Number one, it is pure and T atheism. All you have to do is notice Humanist Manifesto 1 and Humanist Manifesto 2 that were signed by many people, number one, a uh, good many educators and, and various people from various forms, uh, uh, backgrounds. Uh, nearly half of them were from the Unitarian Church, which is an atheistic church. And uh, that's the church that Ruster Mondale is a preacher in. One of these calls, uh, one of these humanist magazines here calls him Reverend Lester Mondale. And he is a preacher in the Unitarian Church. And his brother, 
was is Walter Mondale, and he was vice president of the United States one time, and we were that close, one heartbeat away from having an atheistic, unitarian, humanistic president. And I guess some of us voted. Well, I didn't vote for him, but some might have when he ran for president of the United States. But my friends, he's a humanist. He's spoken before the American Humanist Association, and he said, I'm one of you. Now, he's not a card-carrying humanist necessarily, but he is a humanist. Most of us didn't know that. We, we thought he was a religious fellow. We thought he believed in God and so forth and was a church man, so to speak. But my friends, that was totally in, in error. Then we find that humanism then is atheism. That means there is no God. You take theism and put A in front of it and that negates it. No God. And there is not a higher power. Humanist Manifesto 2 says, that since there is no higher power, then man is going to have to save himself. Humanism teaches that man is the higher power. Man is the highest being there is. There is no superior being. There is no God. And my friends, all you have to do is read in some of these humanist magazines and other works, and you find that they say that anyone who believes in a higher power is guilty of superstition, He's a cultic practicer, practitioner, and he is an ignoramus, and no scientist, and no person who knows anything believes in a higher power. Now, I beg to, to beg your, I desire to beg your, uh, well, whatever. <laughs> your pardon, that. You and I have known many people who were not humanists, who were brilliant people. I remember in Alabama when I was read there seeing one of Von Brown and on a number of occasions. He would fly into Montgomery sometimes in his Learjet, go to the Capitol, speak before Congress, go back out to the airport, take off and go to Huntsville again and work on those rockets. He enabled us with his cohorts to go to the moon. America's the only people who've ever walked on moon, the moon, Americans have. One of Von Brown spent much of his time lecturing why the scientists can believe in God. He said that science proves that there is a God. Now, was he an ignoramus? If you go into the Marshall Space Flight Center Museum in uh, Huntsville, Alabama, you go into the entrance there, and you go, turn to the right and go through two rooms, and these rooms are lined with honorary and earned Ph.D. degrees. Was he an ignoramus because he believed in God? Why, absolutely no. And then there are many other people. You know, sometimes we talk about a person being brilliant. What do we call him? We call him an Einstein. Einstein believed that there's a higher power higher than man. But you see, this is one of the foundational principles of humanism, and that is atheism. There is no God. B.F. Skinner, the father of programmed instruction today, signed the Humanist Manifesto. Lester Mondale signed both manifestos. He was the youngest signer and one of the seven people who signed the first manifesto 
still alive today, Lester Mondale. Now, my friends, uh, B.F. Skinner, the, problem, uh, the, the father of programmed instruction, would like to program all of us in the United States of America according to humanism. He doesn't believe in God any more than John Dewey did. Maslow was an atheist, and he is. And this is what you study, Piaget and others, in American education. We're being shoved, having that shoved down our throats in this country. I mean atheism, humanism. Well, there is a God. There is a higher power. But what if there is not a God? Well, they say since there's not a God, we evolved. No God created us. We evolved. We're here by chance. We're here as a result of some type of colossal accident. Now, you and I know that the second law of thermodynamics proves this to be wrong, along with other things. The law of biogenesis, and uh, you name all of the laws. I wish we had time to go into all the scientific laws that this theory and uh, these uh, hypotheses violate. But we don't have time. But humanism says that we are evolved. We are but graduate beasts. And I deal with that in an article that I put with the Humanist Manifestos 1 and 2 here, entitled, Man, Is He a Little Higher Than the Apes or a Little Lower Than Angels? Well, the Bible says, put an ape here and an angel here. Man's not a little higher than the ape, but man is just a little lower than the angels. But you see, the atheist says we're a little higher than the ape. In fact, one of these humanist magazines says that uh, the man and apes have a lot of things in common that no other animal has in common. And I get sick and tired sometimes of some of my brethren even calling us man and animal. Now, it is true that we have flesh and blood like animals have, but we're not animals, brethren. We are human beings. Now, we have flesh, but we're so much higher than the ape until we can't even begin thinking about resembling a comparison between them. All you have to do is look at the shape of the head to see that, and we don't need to use many illustrations to show that we didn't evolve from an ape. It's impossible. Sometimes examine the skull of an ape. Here's an ape skull that comes around like this, you know, and where does his neck enter? Way back here. Here's man's skull, where does his neck enter? Right underneath. Man is the only creature of God who can look up to God. An ape can't do that. Now, how did that opening for the, or the spinal cord, rather, how, how did that opening for the backbone of the spinal cord get to where it is in the man from where it was in the ape? Well, Science doesn't have an explanation of that. They don't have an explanation of any other either. I wish we could think about all of the differences and the distinctions between man and the ape. And you could see that there are a heap more distinctions between them than there are similarities. We don't have time to go into that. But man evolved. Man evolved from a single cell. We should like to ask the question, since there is no evidence that there are intermediate states between the major groups of animals, Genesis 1 calls them kinds, 
Then how did we get from one major can to another major can, from another, to another major can, to another major can, and even Gaylord Simpson and others of the scientists say that there is no indication that there were intermediate life forms in between? Oh, they say, well, it took a giant leap every time. I illustrated this over in Singapore. Some of these fellows probably remember that. But anyway, I said, uh, they say, given enough time, anything can happen. Anything can evolve from one form of life into a major, another, another form of life. But you know what? I may go out to the Grand Canyon. I flew over it the other day, or close to it, and uh, I could say, well, you know, given enough time, I can jump the Grand Canyon. And so I get back here and illustrate what I'm talking about. I move back and I, I say, now you watch go. And I get going and all of a sudden I make a giant leap and I mark how far I got. See, so I start there next time. But the only thing about it is I've got to rub myself off the bottom a mile deep down there in order to get started back. No, given enough time, not everything can happen. But what am I saying? The principle of evolution. And if you're not an evolutionist today, you're an ignoramus. That's what they say. When I was flying several months ago to Texas for some lectureship, I was sitting and there was a woman there next to me. I was in aisle seat. Here was a woman. She had several master's degrees and so forth. And there was an architect and maybe had taken some science courses. Next to her, by the window, was a fellow who teaches at Southern Methodist University. And the subject of religion came up. And he said he is in the aging thing. What do you call that? He teaches uh, about aging at Southern Methodist University. He's also a botanist, he says. But anyway... The subject came up about uh, what happens after a death. And he said, we just die like rubber. He didn't use that term, but that's what he was saying. And so the next question was, well, I take it you don't believe in God. We were talking over that woman. And every once in a while she'd stick something in. She believes in the higher power, but she didn't believe in the literal nature of Genesis chapter 1. Well, he just says anybody who believes in God is stupid. Well, that's talking about me. And so uh, we had a good discussion for about 30 minutes till we arrived in Dallas or somewhere. And uh, on the way to the baggage claim, the woman went along and she said, you know, I'm going to look into that Genesis 1 again. You know, that may be right, what Genesis 1 says. I said, it might be. <laughs> but uh, she got the idea that maybe not all creationists are stupid. Not that I'm so smart, but he was kind of dumb, really, in a way. <laughs> but but she, she'd punch him and she'd say, he's got you there. He's got you there. Second law of thermodynamics, we talked about carbon-14 dating. He says, that proves the long age of the earth. I said, how, far, how long is it good for? He said, well, 50,000 years. I said, how old is the earth? Well, five and a half billion years old. 
I said, I wouldn't go to carbon-14 and try to prove that. But you and I know that carbon-14, we can't prove that it's very reliable over about 4,000 years if that long. In fact, the Dead Sea Scrolls were uh, aged by it or determined that, tried to uh, determine the age by it, and it was found to be 30 A.D. plus or minus 200 years. Well, that's a 400-year span right there. And every 100 years you go back, it just gets a whole lot worse than that. You go back about three or 4,000 years, you can hang it up. You can't use it back further than that. But these folk will use carbon-14 and they'll show their ignorance even before it gets off the ground. He finally said, well, I don't know what there was before the beginning. He did admit that the earth had a beginning and the universe did. Well, I said, Robert Gastrow says that the creationists has, have the better of the argument. And he didn't want to go much further than that because he knew of the work of Robert Gastrow, who is an agnostic, and he had problem dealing with that. Well, in addition to that, since man is but a graduate beast, you have another thing that they go into, and that is the third principle. There are about five of them that are basic to them. No God, atheism, evolution, and then no morality, no absolute morality. We've been talking about the absolute laws of God. Those who are in control determine morality for them. You get people together and you let them throw the values into the pot and you pull out whatever value seems best. And I'll tell you whose values are going to seem best and those are the ones will be the ones in control. They won't be the Word of God. And that means that no person's life is sacred. That means the unborn's life is not sacred. That means old people's life are not, lives are not sacred. When the state desires to do away with them, that means they can pull the plug any time, determined by the people who are in charge. You and I are not safe around atheists. In fact, some of them have said, Sigmund Freud said, that if atheism were to take over America, it would turn America into a police state because you'd have everybody doing what seemed right to him and pretty soon no one would be protected from anybody and so it would be anarchy and then you'd have to have a police state in order to pull us out of the anarchy. Now that's Sigmund Freud, an atheist. But he was thankful that this nation was built on some moral principles that are found in the Bible. And my friends, they don't have that in humanism. If man is but a graduate beast, you see, man was not made in the image of God. And if man was not made in the image of God, there is no God. And if there is no God, there is no absolute standard of morality because the absolute standard of morality is based in the nature of God itself. The reason why we don't murder is because of the nature of God. The reason why we don't tell lies is because it's based in the nature of God. God cannot lie. The nature of God determines morality. You do away with God and you undermine and do away with morality. And whoever is in charge sets the standard, brother. And that's humanism. And you can find that throughout the Humanist Magazine and in the Humanist Manifesto. In the fourth place, 
They say every person then can paddle his own canoe. That is, every person is autonomous. I don't tell you what to do. You don't tell me what to do. You don't tell your children what to do. The greatest sin in the world is that of parents and preachers and others trying to tell other people what not to do and what to do. That's the greatest sin in the world. And the greatest damnable book in the world is this book right here. That's what they preach. You see, you can't tell a woman not to have an abortion. It's her body. You can't tell your teenager not to go out and have a homosexual relationship or a relationship outside of marriage because he is an autonomous person. You don't tell it. He determines that himself. And in the fifth place, they are opposed to nationalistic boundaries. That is, they are opposed to this country and other countries being separated from each other. They are for a one-world government. That's the reason why Julian Huxley was the beginning of and the head of UNESCO at the United Nations until he died. Julian Huxley, champion evolutionist, not long past. Of course, he's not an evolutionist now. But they think that they're going to rule the world when they take over through the United Nations. Let me tell you something. The humanists are not going to run the United Nations. If democracy goes down, it won't be the humanists in charge. But it's hard to tell them that, isn't it? But you see, they're not very much for patriotism in this country. They seem to like other countries are heap better than they do this one. Now, I'm not telling you something that's guesswork. You read it in the Humanist Manifestos. You read it in the Humanist Magazines. Now, how do they encourage this? Well, their temples are the universities of these, this country. And their priests are the professors, atheistic, evolutionary. And they're training the teachers. And the teachers go back and teach in high schools and elementary schools what they were taught in the temples of humanism. Now, I've been there. I've had atheistic teachers. I've been ridiculed for my faith. Some of you have too. In the second place, they use various methods in the schools. Values clarification. You ever heard of that? Now you can't bring in the values in the Bible. You can't bring in what the values are that your parents had because you see they say that the parents just about run the children beyond every for, uh, opportunity and possibility of being retrieved before they even begin school. But they say, oh, we got them for 12 years. We can just about get it out of them. And let me tell you something. When when they form a group in a circle, oh, the teacher can't enter in. They have to throw in all their ignorance. That is, the students do. And they can't talk about what mother and dad feel, but they have to talk about what they believe. 
They can't bring in the Bible. They can't believe bring in the way man feels. That is where humanism is taught in our schools. That is clarification. And then after they decide, having proved their ignorance and so forth, and gone by a physical feeling of one kind or another, then they are taught to go out and act that out. If you think homosexuality is right, then you've met that decision. You go out and act it out. And that reinforces it in your mind. Sex education. You ever hear of sex education in the schools? Now let me tell you something. The Bible's not brought up in sex education. They don't tell you that sex is wrong between people who are unmarried and between these boys and girls. In fact, they teach them how to have the sexual act and the private parts and so forth all about that in elementary school. They're teaching them how to get contraceptives in these schools that have sex education by the fifth or sixth grade. You know why they say that? The parents aren't teaching them. Parents aren't teaching them. Let me tell you something. We need to be teaching what God says. And I don't want these atheists or those people who have had the wool pull over their eyes by atheists teaching my children about sex. I guarantee you that. Sex education. And you know some of the materials that they are using are unbelievable. They are written by people who don't even believe in God. Many of them are written by people who put out this smut that are in the 7-Eleven stores and so forth. Sexology magazine and these types of things. In fact, there has been discussion about putting a different cover on that and using it in our high school. Some places it might have been. Death education. You know, you come up with a value clarification, which means to do away with these values and let them come with their own values. You know, in the back of the minds of the people who've been taught by gospel preachers and other preachers, and their parents who respect the Bible to a certain extent, that they're going to have to give an account to God one day, they have, they're reluctant to go out and do these things. But you see, with death education, they undermine this worry. They talk about death. If you were going to commit suicide, what way would you go about doing it? What do you think would be the best way, you see? And they say, death isn't too bad. They bring in a little squirrel that's dead. You see this little squirrel here? Why, he's not worried about anything, is he? Then before long, they're taking them to a mortuary. And going in and seeing a body laid out, you see how calm and peaceful this is? Now, let me tell you something. I'm not going to allow that to happen to my child. But they don't want you to know about that. And a lot of those materials you couldn't acquire anyway. But it's going on in our country and many of our schools. Evolution we've already talked about. But let me tell you something. I want to talk to you tonight, just for a few minutes, about humanism in the church of the Lord. I think we have some of it. In fact, I question whether some of our teachers and some of our colleges believe in God, that is, the God of the Bible. When these people say that this Bible is not fully inspired by God, I have a question about that. 
And when there's some of our brethren who are saying that you can't know that there's a God, I have a question about that. I think we have a certain agnosticism among our own brethren sometimes. Let me tell you something. John said, hereby can you know. I've heard Brother Kemp say many times, we know, you know that 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 you're a Christian. Now let me tell you something. In order to know that, that much, you've got to know that there's a God. And I believe you can. And faith is not based on some leap in the dark, man. By the time some of our professors get through with some of our students and some of our colleges, they don't know whether there's a God or not. Now, brother, I don't want my children attending a professor's class like that. And my friends, there's a responsibility of college presidents to do away with that kind of mess in our colleges. And the deans, I've been the dean of two of our Christian colleges. And let me tell you something, I wouldn't put up with that for a half of a split second. I'm not putting up with it where I am. I haven't had a bit of trouble like that. In fact, in five years that I've been director of the Memphis School of Preaching, I haven't had to call a professor in yet, a teacher. That's a wonderful situation, isn't it? But let me tell you something. We have a responsibility in our schools to teach that there's a God, and we can know that there's a God, and faith comes by hearing the Word of God. The evidence is there. But you know what? They're also brethren who teach that Genesis chapter 1 is not literal, it's figurative. I can name some people in our graduate schools today who are teaching that. They also, some of them teach that Moses didn't write the Pentateuch. They believe in the documentary hypothesis or some form of it. There are some of them who teach that Matthew and Luke copied Mark in the so-called Carol document. My friends, this is neo-orthodoxy. This is nothing but warmed over liberalism that they've gotten from some theological school somewhere from a bunch of atheists. And they're bringing it to the church. Now, my friends, I don't believe in organic evolution, and I do not believe that the Bible evolved. What's being taught by some of our folk today, I fear, is that the Word of God, when it was passed down and received by men and written down, became the Word of God as they accepted it as inspired. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that God spake through these people. Holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. It was inspired because it was inspired by God, not because it was written down and then they got the idea that it might be inspired. That's subjective. I don't believe in organic evolution, and I do not believe in theistic evolution, like it's being taught today. Now, we know about the Abilene thing, but that's not the only place where evolution is being taught in some of our colleges. We need to wake up today, brethren, to know that there are some brethren who are teaching in some of our schools who just do not hold to the Genesis account of creation. We need to recognize it. And if we can't support it, we need to do some writing. And we need to do some warning. And we don't need to send our students there. In the next place, autonomous man. You know, there's the idea that we can't preach on sin today. 
You let a man do what he wants to. You let the young people do what they want to. Don't you preach to me about drinking. Don't you preach to my young people what they can do and what they can wear. Every person paddles in own canoe, is that right? Every person who is in the church has a right to do what he wants to do. And then this ecumenical movement that I see in the church today kind of reminds me of the one world government. It seems to me that we just take them all in. And we remove our differences, or else, I mean, ignore our differences, and just unite in spite of our differences. Unity in diversity. I wish I had more time to talk, Brother John, but I hope that this, with this information that you'll take with you, might help you to deal with this. How do we deal with it? Well, you and I can't run the government, but we're a part of the people who run the government, we can vote. Number two, we can write letters. Number three, we can make this known to others, can't we? Number four, we can warn our children. Number five, we can warn the congregations where we are. But we need to know whereof we speak before we get up and start talking about it. As teachers, you and I need to learn about John Dewey and Piaget and others. We need to learn some of the things that we've been fed may not be in accordance to the Word of God. We need to be aware of these things. Brethren, let's learn the truth in these matters. Now, if we have teachers here, let me reiterate that you believe in God, you believe in the morality of the Scriptures, I admire you and I appreciate you. Not all of our public schools are teaching humanism, and not all of our teachers are. And I appreciate that. I tried to make that clear before. But I'll tell you this. We are in a mess today in most places in this country relative to our public schools because atheism and evolution and other aspects of humanism are being taught each day. Thank you.